Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Hot Takes from the Berg podcast. Back in the Berg for me, at least. Uh, I'm, of course, your host, James Michener, joined alongside Ian Hatcher. How are you doing today, Ian? I'm doing fantastic. I mean, really, this is the point that we have all been waiting for all season long. Me and you sending us out in the outro to, you know, I mean, just know we're nowhere close to where it really actually matters. And to be here on the doorstep, literally have the kickoff tomorrow for us at the time of recording i'm absolutely amped we had a wild finish to week 18 uh, even more wild than the fact that we just even had a week 18 to begin with but even more wild in the fact of some of these teams that got in especially in the, the afc was crazy is all i want to say and i don't i know for a fact i was nowhere close to calling the teams that got in so i guess first and foremost before we get into those things week 18 was the you know, end of the season. So for that reason, we got a little bit of some news to break over. And if you are worried about coaches, you better believe they're already on the chopping block. And we've already said goodbye to more than a few of them. So if you want to get into some record-breaking performances and the coaching carousel, I'll I'll kind of go, I'll kind of dip us in a little bit right here. So the records, as far as really, I could see Cooper Cup was the big one to watch. He was a little bit short. He didn't obviously break the receptions record or the receiving yards record. It was really close to that 18 yards behind Calvin Johnson. But he is the first player since 05 to, to have the triple crown in receiving uh, statistics. He was the tops in receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns, which is an amazing accomplishment. And also to be as close to the – or he was 18 yards and five receptions away from Michael Thomas's record. That's pretty incredible. And I think all, all around with my eyes, this is – this is what I'm going to point to until I see another crazy season as to what the best receiving season by a wide receiver looks like in my eyes. I what I don't think I really got to see that Randy Moss season in all of its full glory. I definitely saw good bits and pieces of it, but this to me was all around just outstanding work this season for Cooper Cup. Um, Justin Jefferson, uh, not as crazy, but he set the record for most receptions in the first two years with 196. TJ Watt controversially tied Michael Strahan with 22 and a half sacks. I don't know what is going on there. It seemed like he could have had uh, somewhere near 23 and a half if they could have kept stats right in that final game, but I'm not here to get mad at anybody else, but he did tie that record. Um, And Jalen Waddle broke the the rookie reception record with 104, which was set by Anquan Bolton. So, a couple of records being broken. Not as many as I would have thought in an 18-game season. Obviously, there was health and everything you have to take into account. But with that extra game and health, I thought we would have had an opportunity to see quite a few records get broken, but not the case. I mean, it, it definitely was a crazy season. I mean, the biggest thing, of course, is Cooper Cup. Um, I do wish Stafford had targeted him a little bit more in that last game um, just for him to – have the opportunity to uh, break the record, but I mean, it is what it is. Uh, it's still a huge, huge season for him. Uh, of course, Justin Jefferson had a fantastic season, second second in the league in, in receiving yards, uh, fourth in receptions, uh, had 10 TDs on the season as well. Um, I hate to say it, but big season, Tom Brady, uh, first in the league and passing yards. Uh, I believe he came in this is either third or fourth on the all-time passing yards in the season. Um, and it's by far his, his best season, and he's 44 years old, which is – I hate to say it, it's, it's kind of crazy. It's definitely crazy. I mean, I'm right there with you. I would not really like to admit it, but it never seen anything like that. I mean, the, the, the level of play at 44 years old is – pretty it's pretty ridiculous I mean I, I there's nothing much I can really say about that other than the fact that he had an amazing season and I mean to look at where the Bucks are right now I mean you have to say especially when I think about the struggles that the Bucks went through early in the season it's even more of a testament because in this season I think you, you talked about this being his best um as in a terms of throwing yards passing yards 
I think it was because they needed it. They really, really needed it this year. You look at where the this secondary was for, I'd say the first eight weeks of the season, it felt like before they really got help, healthy and started getting some good, consistent play from some of those guys because they just got so hurt in the beginning. I mean, they the way they leaned on him, and it really, really worked out. Now, in these recent weeks, we've seen some things that have happened to their receiving core of his that has some people worried of going into this playoffs, but no matter what, when you consider everything that happened, for him to be that guy this season is very impressive. Now, another crazy thing about the season, uh, Aaron Rodgers and his uh, touchdown-to-interception ratio, uh, 37 touchdowns to four interceptions. Two, All four of them come in within the span of two games. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was only a two-game span of him. Oh, I'm sorry. Three games. Three games with interceptions. That's maddening. Uh, and, of course, two of those came in that first game that it just seemed like he didn't even care. Uh, that was probably the worst game of Rodgers' career and really turned it around. Uh, 10th in the league in passing yards. Uh, a QBR of 68.8. Insane season for him. Uh, especially with the – the limited amount of talent he has around him on offense. I mean, of course, he had Air, he has guys like Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon and Devontae Adams, but compared to some of the other QBs at the top, like Stafford and Brady, he doesn't have nearly as much as they do. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you. I mean, you talk about guys that are his second and third receivers in Alan Lazard. Uh, like I said pretty much universally across the league so I mean to think of those as being quite literally receivers number two and three it also goes to put it in perspective and I think it just also goes to the kind of rapport he has with his receivers it is truly second to none the way he can drop I mean just drop it in the bucket and hit him in the hands every single time in any route combination you want it is extremely impressive. I have said it before, and I will maintain it. To me, thus far in my life, I think Rodgers is the best quarterback to me. He puts the ball where it has to be every single time. And just from a purely – I'm not talking about winning and not talking about outside success, nothing else. Playing the quarterback position, I think Aaron Rodgers is the epitome of what you want to do. He, he always puts the ball in the right spot, and he doesn't make those killer mistakes, that, which are interceptions. I mean, that's what loses you games. Yes, it is. Um, now, looking at, like, the rushing edge of things, of course, we have Jonathan Taylor, a, a fantastic year from him in, in the all-around game. Pretty sure he had 2,300 total yards uh, from scrimmage. I think he had about 500 through the air. I, I think that is correct. Um, but still, a really good season from him. If he had started off the season better, I think he would have easily broke 2,000 yards. Um, just in, oh, I'm sorry, 20, 2,100 yards total, uh, from scrimmage, uh, still a fantastic season from him. Uh, we already went into the receiving guys, um, defensively. I mean, Trevon Diggs, I know people hate on him. I'm one of those guys. He's just a, a kind of guy who gets interceptions, but he gives up so many yards that I don't really take it as, other people will, but 11 interceptions is crazy for a second-year player. Yeah, definitely crazy, but I, I am definitely falling in there with you. I mean, it would be another thing if every single play that I watched him in, it was lockdown coverage, but it's obvious that he's going for the interceptions. It doesn't take away from the fact that he's able to haul in 11 in a season. That's amazing. The most since I remember if in my lifetime, if I am correct, since Jared Bird had like nine in his rookie season with Buffalo, I remember that happening when I was probably 12 or 13. I was really, really in crazy at the time. So to get 11, and Jared Bird was a safety, mind you. So to get 11 as a true cornerback is insane. I mean, it's literally kind of like a college football kind of number. But he takes those chances. I mean, he goes for it. He puts himself in position to get burned 50 yards at times. And I think I'll really be able to put him in that conversation because I'll give it to him. He has elite ball skills. 
playing the ball in the air. He looks like his brother, Stephon Diggs. I mean, really, it seems that natural to him to go up and get it. Actually went to Alabama as a wide receiver before they switched him on that side of the ball. So you could tell the instincts are still there. My only problem with it is when he needs to do a better job of knowing when to kind of use those talents. When it's a situation where the worst result, a.k.a. you not coming down with the ball, results in an 80-yard touchdown or a huge gain, you should probably know, okay, I don't have to sell out and get this pick. Why don't I sit back, play the ball, knock it out of their hands? I, I think a little bit of wisening up in that area, I mean, would allow him to be in the conversation as best cornerback in the league. With the fact that he's coming up right off a season with 11 picks, in, in my opinion, isn't in that conversation, it speaks volumes as to kind of how he chooses to approach the position and, and his game of at cornerback. Yeah, it's definitely ups and downs for that, for Trevon Diggs. But the last guy I want to go into is a guy I was not expecting to have as big of a year as he did, uh, Nick Bosa, uh, coming off an Achilles injury. 15 and a half sacks. Um, I believe he had 12 tackles for loss. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry, 21 tackles for loss, uh, 52 total tackles. Absolutely phenomenal season for him. I mean – I really think it's between him and Dak for comeback player of the year. Um, I think he really should get some some votes for that. I mean, of course, Dak led the team to 12 and 5, yada, yada, yada. But I mean, Nick Bosa was arguably the heart and soul of that defense. I mean, there, there are some stretches where I really didn't think the Niners would make it, but Nick Bosa was always putting up stuff. Yeah. Nick Bosa, I mean, the Bosa brothers together are absolutely insane i definitely don't think it's anywhere close to a hot take to say on air right now that i consider nick bosa to be the better of the two um he was i remember everybody was so entranced with what nick bosa could be and i was that one guy who was like i mean yeah joey bosa is going to be a monster but his little brother's still at ohio state right now we should really be watching out for this guy because i mean he looked at times, it, they looked indis- indistinguishable in college. That's how good he was. And to be as young as he was was insane. But he's a fantastic player. A lot of guys, pass rushers this year, really, really surprised me. I think I have to go into Micah Parsons. I hate to say it. Another Cowboys defender that had a fantastic season. I mean, you want to talk about as Amazing as it is, yes, Nick Bosa getting 15 and a half sacks, the 21 tackles for loss, really leading that defense the year after the Achilles. I think it's – obviously, I don't want to compare it anyway into the injury, but it's similarly hard to get 13 sacks as a rookie defender coming into this league, primarily as what I figured would be an inside backer. I knew he could do the outside. I did not know he could get up and play 4-3 defensive end. I mean, that indiscriminately, they've done some crazy things utilizing him on defense, but to see him up there with guys who only rush the passer. I mean, you're looking at the names around him. We're looking at Cameron Jordan, Aaron Donald, Matthew Judon. I mean, those are the guys in his range of players, and he's right up there in sacks as what I considered coming into the year as a true inside backer. And he played about, I I wish I knew the exact numbers, but I want to say it's about 30% 30 of the time coming off the edge. 13 sacks is ridiculous for that. I have to talk about that. Another guy who I will admit I was dead wrong about, Trey Hendrickson. I called it. I I said this last week as well, but I have to say it at the end of the week now that he's finished with 14 sacks on the season. uh, I was wrong. I mean, it was obviously a great decision for them to move on from Carl Lawson, who we still haven't seen with the Jets because of his injury. But I I did not bet on him being able to replicate his success, and he – Exact, just did that exactly. He replicated his success, success from last year, had a really awesome year. Um, and then another guy I've talked about all year, um, Matthew Judon thought he was very phenomenal this year with the Patriots. And Aaron Donald still to just be up here with 12 and a half sacks from a defensive tackle. I mean, it's, it's non-human. It's ridiculous. It's been ridiculous since he came into the league. The only person close to him at the def- – there, well, there's only one interior defensive lineman other than him in the league, that was over 10 sacks. And it was worth exactly 10, and that's Cam Hayward with the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, I mean, he he's a monster. Um, he does things that no other interior defensive lineman can do, and that's why, to me, he's truly the best at that. 
you know, Aaron Donald's just freaking nature. I mean, by the time his career is over, he has the the resume to be the greatest defensive player of all time. Um, if he keeps this up. But yeah, Micah Parsons, I hate saying this. He he had a really good season. Uh I really hate that we were wrong on Trey Hendrickson. Um that that just sucks, but I mean <laughs> he he really proved us wrong. Um yeah. Uh, and then Robert Quinn just coming out of nowhere with 18 and a half sacks. I mean, I hadn't really heard Robert Quinn's name since he left St. Louis. Well, that's definitely, impressive. The... definitely impressive. I mean, he had a good season in Dallas, and then last year he just didn't do anything. And then this season, 18 and a half sacks. I mean, his second career high since his third year in the league. Insane season from him. And, and while we're on defense, this is another guy I've talked up all season long. And I, I have to again. Rasul Douglas to be tied for fourth in the entire league in interceptions with five and to have only played 12 games this season because he was a late addition to the Green Bay Packers to begin with. Oh, and also to be tied in the league league with touchdowns returned from interceptions. I, I mean, it's so happy for the guy. I, I know a lot of people are probably wondering why the hell I keep bringing up Rasul Douglas. If you understand how I felt about him when he played for my Eagles and I was literally screaming at my TV to get him on the field because he's the only person who could possibly cover anyone on our entire roster, you would understand how happy I am for him to see him get the opportunity to ball out and to be like what I always thought he could be one of the best in the league. Even this year, he played, like I said, the 12 games and he's still tied for fourth uh, with some amazing names for the league lead in interceptions. I mean, truly great season for him. And I mean, this probably just put his whole career back on track. I mean, could not be happier for the guy. Yeah, no, definitely a good addition for me on fantasy. I love for Sewell Douglas. (laughs) Um, Actually, there is one more guy I want to talk about. There's Darius Leonard. Um, really seeming like a Swiss army knife. I mean, he's not on the level of a guy like Isaiah Simmons that can just play every position on the field, but for that linebacker spot, granted, he doesn't have the sacks just to show for it, but the power he has, he had eight fumble, uh, force fumbles, four interceptions. He really knows how to lay it down on guys. Um, and also drop back into coverage. He's a really good run stuffer. He, he's the prototypical linebacker every team would want, but not every team has. I mean, he definitely reminds me of a much, much younger Bobby Wagner. Darius Leonard is definitely one of the beasts of the league. I think there's not many, but there's a couple of guys that I would still or that I would put into that same kind of, I guess you could say, breadth. I would still put Devin White in there. To me, I think from what you asked that position to do, he is one of the best in the league. Obviously, I think, first of all, I have to say, none of these guys are going to be able to compete with the stats you just listed. I mean, first of all, eight forced forced fumbles, that's an amazing place to be. I mean, it's kind of creeping into the territory of what Trevon Diggs was doing. I mean, 11 interceptions on a year. Now, granted, it all comes down to how many of those you can get your team to recover, but if you're making the other team put the ball on the ground eight times in a season. Uh, if, there's not a coach in the league that wouldn't take that. But other guys in that category, I, I really think a lot of Devin White, athleticism standpoint, he's everything you would ever want. Fred Warner is another one of the best linebackers in the entire league. Um, and then somebody that a lot of people I think sleep on is Eric Kendricks. And I also think C.J. Mosley had a really great season first year coming back. Obviously, he had, you know, a little bit of time off last year, but – to perform the way he did with the after a year off, I thought was amazing. And another guy, young, up and coming, Roquan Smith. I really, really like him. But there's another guys, two guys at the top of the list who led the league in tackles, really jumped on their opportunity this year. And that's Olukon. Full you side Olukon. Love that guy. And also Jordan Brooks from the Seattle Seahawks. I think he was very underrated. It was not a good Seahawks team this year. You were not, you know, in the minority if you weren't tuning into a lot of their games. And they were on defense a lot this season. You see his teammate Bobby Wagner right below him. But I think they both played really, really well. I mean, they were obviously tasked with a lot this season. 
playing on that defense, but I think they they both made the most of it. I'll say that. Yes, they did. Uh, but I think that's about the the season recap right there. I think it's time to hop on hop into these wild card matchups, and there's some. There's probably one snoozer. Um, the Chiefs and Steelers. I mean, it's gonna be a, a blowout for, on the Chiefs end. But there are so everything else is going to be some really, really good games, uh, starting with the Bengals and the Raiders. The Raiders just barely able to get in after edging out the Chargers and OT after arguably the biggest mistake a coach could make. Um, just calling a time uh, Max later, calling a timeout uh, with 30 seconds left completely changes the, the Raiders mind. I mean, you could see it in Derek Carr's face like, Oh, all right. We're gonna go for this now and win the game because they were they were fine with Nealon and having both of them go to the playoffs and booting the Steelers out. But and then the on the other end of the spectrum, we got the Bengals who have by far been the most turnaround, the most impressive team all season uh, from what everyone thought they were gonna be. I thought they were going to be like another bottom feeder team, maybe maybe get five wins on the season. I know we're about in the same boat. But, no, yeah. they come out and win one of the more competitive, competitive divisions in recent history. It wasn't nearly as competitive this year, but still, no one thought they would be here. Uh, of course, they, they lost last week because they were sitting uh, – uh, Joe Burrow and uh, Joe Mixon is out with COVID, but – what an insane season from them. And, I mean, Joe Burrow gets that week of rest, and he is going to come out slinging on this ro- on this Raiders team. Yeah. I, I To me, I know this is – I'm going to very easily, quickly get myself in a controversial position. Who would have thought after last year that there were, you would even be able to make the case? Because I, I, I don't think – honest. if people are being honest, that many people would, that – you you could make the case that after next this year, which you have to think back, a lot of people didn't think Joe Burrow would play this year. That after this season, we'd be able to make an argument that Joe Burrow potentially is better than Justin Herbert. I think after year one, it was pretty unanimous. Okay, Justin Herbert is not what we thought he was coming into this draft. Like this guy is special. And now I think Joe Burrow has finally had his opportunity to kind of say, okay, well take your eyes off of me guess what this is what this team is capable of and just just my second year I think first of all Burrow came into a team that had I think we know a lot about sports or at least we like to think we do Jason we were both on the same page with pretty much America coming into this season about where this Bengals team would finish and there was a lot of people on that Chargers hype team I think it's no doubt that Herbert joined a better team but yet for a granted, you know, they're different teams. They play different schedules, but to get here with this team that no one thought was possible. I think we really seriously need to give a lot of credit to, to Joe Burrow. And he has really, really impressed me this whole season. I know it's been the whole offense and it's been in part because of those amazing receivers they have and and some guys stepping up. Joe Mixon was healthy and for, you know, a full season for the first time in a while. And that defense had guys step up all over the field and a, you know, Chidobi Awuzie, Trey Hendrickson, we've already talked about. Jesse Bates, one of the best safeties in the league. But they had those things and, and had them for, you know, dating back to even in the first year. And it really took, you know, this just this year, everybody to get healthy. And you could – I saw Joe Burrow get healthier week by week in those first, you know, four or five weeks. And then once they kind of hit their stride, there was points in the season where they looked unstoppable against – fantastic teams and at no point I don't feel like did I see that from the Chargers at any point I mean they had some games where they looked really good but they also had games against teams that should have had no business even being in competition with them where they looked flat out bad no there definitely is a conversation between who is the better QB I would have loved because if the Raiders and the Chargers would have tied it would have been Bengals versus Chargers, and that would have been the game of the century. I know. The two youngest, two young stars, the number one pick and the number five pick, that would have been fantastic, but it is what it is. Uh, 
my oh my, like this is going to be a fantastic game. This is going to be a slugout. Yeah. It's, it's going to be an offensive shootout because I'm not discrediting either team's defense, but both of these offenses are so high-powered, that's going to be difficult to stop, especially for the Bengals. Yeah. I definitely think it's there's more onus on the, the Raiders' defense to come in and try and, you know, have some good things happen for them because, uh, like you mentioned, the high-powered nature of this Cincinnati offense that we've all come to learn means business at this point in the season. But I don't think that there's no chance because, like I said, there's been a part of me pretty much for a majority of this season that's that was waiting on a Bengals collapse. Now that hasn't happened, I'm looking at them differently. But I still won't say that – I still don't look around and think maybe – uh, is this still legitimate or are there some overachievers in this game? Now, I don't think that in my humble opinion that the Raiders would be able to uh, capitalize on that. I think it's an amazing feat that they are here with the turmoil and like terrible things that have happened with this team from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. I mean, this team doesn't even look the same, like not even close. And that's not something you usually say about a playoff team. Usually those are teams that, come week 14 15 I mean they already have nothing to play for they're kind of starting to get head towards draft position positioning and that kind of thinking it was never even crossed the Raiders mind and I think that's such a testament to the way that the assistant coaches and everybody else has stepped up to fill in the void because I just can't imagine what it would be like to lose probably your most dynamic receiver your head coach one of your best coverage guys and still not even bat an eye. It blows my mind. And that's on top of the fact they've had injuries like every other team. They've had disappointments like every other team. But yet they're still here. I mean, like I said, it's just a testament to uh, the work ethic and uh, honestly probably where they were already destined to be headed as, as, as a team. I find it hard to believe they wouldn't have been even better had they not lost what they lost. And I definitely think they would have been better. It's, it's crazy to think – about like all the Raiders stuff that just happened this year. It's insane, but it's going to be a really good game. But overall, I got to go with the Bengals. I just think they're, I think they have the more Howard powered offense. Um, I think it's going to be a lot more difficult for the Raiders to stop the Bengals than the Bengals to stop the Raiders. I think there will be some drives where Derek Carr can't get the ball moving. Uh, and they're going to have to rely a lot on Josh Jacobs. I don't know if Joe Burrow is going to have that big of an issue. Yeah, to me, I, I am definitely leaning with you. I, I think the Bengals come out on top of this one. To me, fully 100% the wild card is Derek Carr. I, if he comes out and he's able to – because the reason I say that is because I don't believe this Bengals secondary is like world team. I don't think they're all that incredible, but I do think playing a team like this Raiders squad – you can use your best players in, in a way that will really help you and to minimize the impact that the best guys can have. If you can do that, you can make Derek Carr's life harder. I don't think there's any question that, you know, as impressive as Joe Burrow has been this season, Derek Carr has equally been impressive because, like I said, with all that change, all that turmoil, he was one of the few consistents over that entire, you know, journey that they went on. And his play was there for them each and every week and it's the reason why I believe that they're in the playoffs right here but if the Bengals are able to key on and do some things and take away some of his favorite options because it's no question at this point in the season we know what they want to do they want to get the ball to Renfro in the short game and obviously Waller's going to be coming back he should play a huge role and we know how they use Josh Jacobs so it'll be interesting but I just think with everything that's happened, they, they, they kind of had no choice but to tip their hat. You know what the Raiders are going to do, and I think it's so long as this Bengals defense can adjust to figure out and, and on the fly kind of adapt, they should be fine in this one. But you cannot let them go to their bread and butter every single play. No, but either way, it's going to be a fantastic game to watch. And another game that's going to be the fun to watch, we got the grudge match, uh, the best out of three, the Bills and the Patriots. Uh, of course, the first game, uh, one of the worst conditions in NFL history, I think. Uh, I think it was up to 55-mile-per-hour gusts. Uh, Josh Allen was not in his element whatsoever. Couldn't throw the ball, and they did not have a run game at all. And the Patriots just did what they do best, jam the ball down, down the throat. 
Um, but I mean, overall, like that second game, it was all Buffalo. I don't care what the score said, that was all Buffalo. They dominated the Patriots. I think the score ended up being what, like 30, 31 20, something like that. It, 33 to 21. Yeah, it was not that close. I mean, they they mopped the floor with New England. I mean, the run game was still really iffy. Uh, Damon Harris and Rondre Stevens had a good game, but Mac Jones was not able to get anything done. I mean, I mean, it is what it is. So this third game is going to be huge. Uh, if they can keep what they did, uh, keep doing what they did against Mac Jones in that second game, and try and limit that run game as much as possible. It's going to be an easy win for Buffalo. But if if that condition is how it was in that first matchup, it's going to be really, really bad. See, this is where I th- – to me, this one is really easy. I, I hate to put it like that, but you have to understand, for one, how I feel about the Bills. And my feelings about the Bills are, for one, anytime you get a team that is – top five in offense and defense. I mean, that's the kind of a well-rounded team that I'm looking for at this point in the season. Those are the teams that can do both, you know, can do both that not only have that high powered offense, that can get you a score, move the ball when you need it, but you need a defense that can similarly stop some of the high powered offenses that you're going to see. And unfortunately for the Patriots, this one, I don't think that's them. It took, as you mentioned, a full effect of mother nature, I I do believe, to get that Patriots that first win. It was still a dogfight, and the game was made for them, made for them. The best player on the Buffalo Bills team was effectively taken out of it in Josh Allen, and you know they don't have an established run game, which ha- so just so happens to be the probably the best thing going for this Patriots offense. I mean, everything was tailored for you with that game. I cannot imagine in my brain that – you're going to see another game set up like that or conditions like that. It's just not going to happen. And even if it does at this point, I think, I mean, are you selling out to completely beat the Patriots in the regular season, whatever week it would have been? No, but are you settling, selling out to win your playoff game? Absolutely. If it's going to take running Josh Allen 40 times, if they were to get those conditions again, in the playoffs, I guarantee you they do it. I guarantee you they would do it. And I would love to see a Patriots offense hang more points on what is the best defense scoring-wise in the entire league for this for this Bills defense. I mean, this is as well-rounded as you a team you could possibly hope for. I know everybody is at this point either kind of already pointing towards Kansas City out of the AFC. I think this is really what they're going to have to go to or what – Kansas City's going to have to go through is going to be this Bills team because, like I said, I think when you look for a well-rounded team, this is really what I'm looking for. Now, the rushing attack does worry me a little bit, but I think Singletary came on. They kind of discovered ways that they can get Josh Allen involved safely, which is huge and a big part of this as well. Um, the Bills are, in my opinion, one of the teams that are you're going to have to – are the scariest right now. I don't think the Patriots were hoping to play the Bills first round. I can tell you that. Oh, no, not all. And, like, Devin Singletary in these past two weeks has, has shown that he can be used in the run game. Uh, I think 100, 200 total yards in the past two games, three touchdowns. Um, of course, Josh Allen does his thing of, like, 50 yards a game. But, I mean, the fact that they're able to get Devin Singletary somewhat going in the offense early is what they need to do. Yep. And then now open the play action and really get Josh Allen going. And then you get dump offs to Singletary and you get Stephon Diggs going. That's what they need to do. And they did that the last two games. And I'm hoping they continue that. Yeah, I agree. And like I said, I'm not too worried about this Bills defense in terms of stopping the Patriots. I mean, you know what they're going to want to do. I'd be more worried about un- unnecessary and stupid turnovers by the by this offense like that's why I really agree with what you said about getting the rushing attack going early because you still still no matter what to beat this team you don't need Josh Allen to drop back and and throw the ball 50 times uh you don't need that obviously you can get yourself into a position where you're gonna need it with turnovers and silly things like that but 
I think it should start with the healthy dose of the run, like you said, mixing the play action. All phases of the offense need to be in go in this one because it's still the same thing. You still need guys like Singletary to get some confidence moving forward because this is hopefully a Super Bowl run for a team like this. You know, you, you need them ready for the multitude of moments that are going to await them, hopefully. I mean, I think it can be so. But on to the next game now. We got the Buccaneers and the Eagles. It's going to be an interesting game. Um, I think the fact that – I think, what, it was week nine? Was that the matchup, or is it week eight? It looks like the, it was – it was week six. Okay. Um, the Eagles didn't have Miles Sanders, or I don't believe they had Boston Scott either, so their running game was pretty much completely eliminated. And it was still, I believe, 28 to 22. Um, close game. I don't think it was a, a good game from Brady either. Like, I – let me go back and check. But I I was not was a, a okay big... game. He was 34 for 42, 300 yards pretty much. Um, average of eight, seven yards per attempt. Um, and then two touchdowns to one pick. But when you think about Philly's defense – I would expect him to do a lot more, especially with how he played this entire season. I understand uh, now him not having Chris Godwin is going to really hurt. And now Antonio Brown's his main target that game. Uh, he's, of course, scattled, skedaddled off into God knows where. Um, but this is going to be a, a huge, huge test. Um, I think Leonard Fournette will be back. I think think that's what um, i've seen is the indication would seem to point to that but another thing is like like i said like they didn't philly did not have a running game and that's their that's been their big thing for the past five five six weeks they've really established it early on and they've been able to Somewhat mix in the passing game, uh, definitely an RPO kind of style offense, I would say. Um, but if they can't get that run game going like they did this this week, it's not going to be a pretty game for Philly. No, I completely agree. And like you were saying, it the, the run game is so much more than the actual yards that we just get from it. When I look at this game, it's it is very weird to see because obviously you know that turnaround happened I, I want to say pretty much after this loss right here or no it was next week's loss when we were sitting at two and five I was thinking this couldn't can't get any worse and then we kind of started to figure things out we played to our strengths and we really saw I mean just a hundred rushing yards in this game <clears throat> is terrible but on top of that because of that performance we had 113 yards through the air now this was probably I would point to as one of Jalen Hurts' worst games all year long. And I don't know if that bodes well or bodes bad, poorly for us say, saying that, but I do know for the one fact that when we can run the ball and when our rush offense is working, like you like you started to note, it, that's what sets up our entire passing offense. It's not like suddenly when, you know, we bust out a 20-yard run like Jalen Hurts just suddenly becomes a better passer. It's no, we can – move into a section of our playbook that allows for our pass plays to cause more confusion on the defensive side of the ball. It opens up a new wrinkle in our playbook. Like you see, we start getting the ball to Dallas Goddard on screen plays, designed tight end screens aimed around getting one of our best playmakers with the ball in his hands, the ball. It's as simple as that. Just rushing the ball and, and the success we can have on the ground opens up availability through the air for our best playmakers. I will say, I think our running backs are definitely a huge strength to this team, but I don't think there's a better player with the ball in his hands on our team outside of probably Devonte Smith, um, Dallas Goddard and Jalen hurts. I, I truly do believe that in the terms of making plays, I'd put Miles Sanders is just right, barely behind them, but those guys are so dynamic and, and they all really feed off of one another. I've seen by far the best Dallas Goddard in these last uh, – or in the games where he played after before being sat in that last week. Some of the best performances in his entire career. 
I mean, and I've seen the best performances of Jalen Hurts' career over this last little bit of a win streak. But without success on the ground, I don't think against a defense this talented, as hurt as the Bucks may be, I don't think without that ground success that we have much of hope of doing anything. Because if we just turn this into a, a passing contest where it's going to be Jalen Hurts versus Tom Brady, we will lose 10 times out of 10. And I, that's just being brutally – we don't have – even with how decimated their receiving core may be, I don't think we have – we have one true, true, really strong corner, and that's Darius Slay. And he hopefully can just hold his own versus Mike Evans. If he's – you know, it looks like he's going to be healthy enough to go. So, But that's the one guy we really on the outside need to stop down shut down and outside of that i don't know who we kind of match up with gronk with i don't love any of our tight ends or safeties in that kind of a scenario so uh, there's definitely places on our team that can be exploited but i think if we stick to our personal strengths we'll give us a chance to be in this game and come out on top but it's just going to come down to you know handling our strengths i don't expect it and sadly i hate to say i expect the bucks will win this game but i do think if philadelphia is with their strengths like they have been for a majority of the season since we've got on this not winning streak, but just better play streak. I think we do have a legitimate chance and there's going to be a lot uh, riding on Jalen Hurts' shoulders. And I am excited to see how he plays in his first playoff action. You have to think I'm a guy who went from Carson Wentz. I never saw more than a quarter of postseason action from Carson Wentz. The one year he was in the postseason with us, he went out midway through the first quarter with a with a concussion so I'm just happy to see our starting quarterback playing games in the postseason I haven't it's been a long time since I've seen that I hate picking either team here I don't like either of them I am gonna go with the Bucks <laughs> though um just because the fact that that earlier game in the year is going to reside with me that they yeah. weren't able to get the run game going now I don't think Tampa Bay's defense has really taken any hits, which is what worries me for them not being able to get the run game going. That's that's the only thing that really worries me there. But, I mean, overall, I just think Tampa Bay has the more talented team. Uh, I hate to say it, but. I, oh, no. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's the absolute truth. I do think the only thing that, and I don't know if it's me being a biased fan, but with the injuries and the attrition, I mean, this is a team looking back to the game earlier in the season you look at some of their best playmakers, obviously they're without Antonio Brown. They don't have O.J. Do they have O.J. Howard? They do not. They have Gronk. Yeah, they, I was going to say, they don't have O.J. Howard. They use Ronald Jones in this game and Giovanni Bernard more than I think they, I've seen them be used in the last eight weeks combined. They also don't have Cameron Bray. Chris Godwin's gone. I mean, this is a team that off, is, is not the same. And now it's always a bad bet saying that Brady won't find people on the roster to just continue to get the ball to until we're down to, like, the ball boys for the team. But it is something that I do think has to be a little bit worrisome because even though the shortcomings we kind of have on defense, there's we're going to have certain players that will still have more of an opportunity to just kind of come in and pin their ears back and make a play because you're not tasked with, oh, I'm out here guarding Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, tasked with all those guys at once on, on the field. I think really the, the eyes for us need to reside with Gronk, Mike Evans, Fournette. If we can key in on those guys, have cause at least maybe one or two of them to have a bad game, I think we are in the game at that point. That is true, but I'm just the defense is what keys me in. Yeah, it's definitely a tough sell. <laughs> um, but on to the next game. We got the Dallas Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers. I'm going to be straight up. I think San Fran's winning this. I do not trust this Dallas team at all. I have not trusted them all year long. And the way San Francisco played last this past week really proved to me that they can still make a run. They played a phenomenal second half. That first half was atrocious. The fact that they went down 70-3. to three, but the fact that they're able to stop one of the best offenses in the league to only hold him to seven in the second half, um, they did a really, really good job. Um, Jimmy G had a phenomenal second half. Just outstanding. Outstanding play for them. 
And then Dallas, I mean, I've been saying it all year long. I mean, six of their wins came from the worst division in football. Yeah. Like, that doesn't prove much. And one of those wins was way too close. That first Washington game should not have been a 20-27 to game. Like, that should have been an easy blow-off for them. But no, they they it was a close game. They barely beat the Chargers in week two off some flukes from Justin Herbert. They lose to the Raiders. They get basically demolished. Their offense get demolished by that Chiefs defense. They lose to the Cardinals. This is not – when this team plays good teams, they don't play well. This San Francisco team is a great team. Yeah. Their record does not show how good of a team there are. I completely agree. I could not agree more. I mean, it's the one thing. This is the game that really is giving me pause. It's really giving me pause. Now, for one, I love it on paper because this just makes – this feels so 90s to me. And I, I love that just thinking about, I don't know, that, that SF on a helmet versus the star. It just seems so nostalgic, and I didn't even live it. I just had to hear the war stories my dad was telling me. So, I mean, I, I love that kind of a setup. I can't imagine how older I – w- I wish I had somebody, like, kind of just older to talk to about it as a fan of either one of these things. I bet it's probably an immense amount of excitement to get back to something that was probably a huge part of your life. I mean, it feels like these teams met, what, five or six times in the playoffs back in the day in the 90s, 80s kind of era. Just absolutely insane. A great matchup in that kind of a capacity. but. To get to the game, I completely am with you, Jason. I don't know how else to really say it. This is a team that I they're opposite ends of the spectrum. I think a lot more highly and have all season of this San Francisco 49ers team than what the record or what even how they're playing in a game would show. I just think they're coached so well, and they attack each and every game so well. They're one of the few teams in the league that I feel is truly dynamic. And what I mean by that, is they know who they're going up against and tailor their game plan around that. And it's one thing to kind of do that in the regular season. Sometimes it can be perceived as try-hardish or things like that. I don't see any of that. I think it's smart game planning to be able to do that. And I know for a fact the San Francisco defense is up to the challenge. And that's the thing because that's the difference for me. I know when the cards are down – San Francisco will probably play their best ball. I have no clue how this Cowboys team is going to respond to pressure. Absolutely none. And heading into the postseason where you know there's going to be pressure, high stakes moments, things aren't going to go your way every single turn, and you're going to get the best effort every single play from every all 22 personnel on the field. It kind of scares me. It really actually scares me about this for this Dallas team. I, I want, I don't want to just so easily, you know, brush away their chances because I know as an Eagles fan and for you, Jason, also as a, as a um, Washington football team fan, it probably hurts our credibility to consistently be as low on the Cowboys as we are. But this game, it's not just the Cowboys right here for me. It's the game. I don't like this matchup. I really don't. I think it's probably the worst matchup Dallas could have drawn. I will be honest. I I think they would have been – if they were in Philadelphia's position right here, I would have talked them up in a similar way as I talked up Philadelphia for having chances with the where this Tampa Bay team is, things like that. The San Francisco 49ers team, on the other hand, they are not the Bucs. They really are not right now. I think this team has really discovered the fact they have two kind of game-changing wide receivers. Ayuk has really broken out, went from an afterthought to somebody you really better consider. I mean, George Kittle, do I have to say anything about him? Debo Samuel has been doing it as a running back and a wide receiver this year. There's so much, in my opinion, to like about this 49ers team. And I would, I was going to like them no matter what the matchup was. So for it to be Dallas, I think I'm with you, Jason. I really think I'm with you uh, in rolling with the 49ers. It's going to be a dogfight, but I would give the 49ers the slight edge. The only thing that's... I'm worried about with this Niners team is if Jimmy G gets turnover happy. I mean, those, if he throws, 
if he throws two interceptions in this game like he did against the Rams, with how potent Dallas's defense can be on turnovers and how that offense feeds off it, if they get down early, I don't, they don't know if they can come back like the Rams do, like they did against the Rams, because uh, Matthew Stafford has been known not to be able to close out games uh, and shut his opponent up. But if he keeps that ball safe and they establish the run early with Mitchell and, Sa- and Debo, and then he gets the pass going, that's when things start getting scary. That's when you should start worrying as a Cowboys fan. But, I mean, overall, this is going to be a good game. I can't deny that. But I just think the fact that, like you said, this is the worst matchup that the Cowboys could have gotten. I I would have think I would have liked the the Cowboys and beating the Rams more than the than the Niners. The Cowboys yeah. got the Rams. I think that would have been an easier game than this, just because the not only are the Niners coming off probably their biggest win of the season to get them into the playoffs, which they they needed to win to get in. This Cowboys team has been looking dodgy. Yeah. They have not uh, looked their best at every point. And, it's, you know, we both along the way have kind of keyed in on those moments. And it's the reason why we're hesitant at this point in the season. Yep. Um, now into the biggest news fest of if you're a Steelers fan, uh, Chiefs and Steelers. I don't think there's much to really say here. I think it's just going to be a repeat of uh, what was it? Week 15 is when they played. I believe that's when it was. Uh that just ginormous blowout. Uh, when was that? That was week 16. Yeah, 36 to 10. Chiefs, or the, it was 36 to 3 until like three minutes left in the game. I, I don't see it being this exact score again, but I see the, the Chiefs just completely dominating this team again and not allowing Bed to do anything. Um, it's not going to be a pretty game. Uh, this can be ugly. It's not going to be fun to watch unless you're a Chiefs fan and just like watching Patrick Mahomes sling the ball 70 yards down the field. Yeah, that's, that's really it. Now I, I am definitely on page with you about the outcome of this game, but I am very interested in watching this game because <clears throat> I think the Chiefs, it kind of really, really got ahead of things early in the season when there there was a lot of talk about maybe this team isn't what we thought they were. And I think some of it was, uh, you know, overblown. Some of it was, you know, correct in the observations that were made. And some of it was probably just straight up blasphemy. But the one thing I know is that this was not the Chiefs team we know and love at the beginning of the season. And you have the easy game here. You know, I'm not looking at this one with any great chance for an upset, I, I'm sorry, Pittsburgh Steelers fans enjoy what will be Ben's last game. I do think this will be a respectable game. I, I'm not expecting 50 to 10 or anything like that. Oh, I'd, I'd love to see 30. that though. Yeah. It's not going to be oh. pretty. Yeah. But I will say I'm watching this Kansas city chiefs team because I, I still have question marks on both sides of the ball. It's another. It's another one of those kind of things with the Cowboys at this point. Like with the Chiefs now, with all when everything's down on the table, do we see Patrick Mahomes step back and get into some of those problems we saw back early in the season? Does he give the ball away? Does he give this Pittsburgh team a couple of easy chances at points with turnovers, things like that? I also really, really need to see Tyreek Hill and and Patrick Mahomes. I know it sounds crazy. I don't think this is a very good year for Tyreek Hill. I really don't, especially in terms of what I expect him to be able to do. I mean, we I talked about it a lot because I figured it was kind of like the cheat code. I mean, the guy with the best arm strength in the entire league, having the guy with the best speed in the entire league seems kind of overpowered. And this year it didn't work in the capacity that I thought it should. Um, I definitely want to see him get involved, be a focal point, because I think him and Kelsey are – no matter how you want to slice it, I mean, they are the difference makers of this team. They are the matchup nightmares, the guys that 
you know, truly as cliche as it sounds, keeps defensive coordinators and defensive players up at night before you play the Chiefs because you could play the best game of your career, but if you don't run a 4-2 or whatever Tyreek Hill runs, he will burn you three times on a touchdown that you just can't even control if you don't have the right kind of defensive scheme or attention to him. So for that reason, it's a scary proposition, but I do think this is an opportunity for both the Chiefs offense, Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and additionally that defense. I'll give them credit. They've played amazing, especially in that last week's game. I thought they played phenomenal, but they've had a lot better moments since you know the beginning of that season. I want to see it continue. Now, this is a Pittsburgh team where you probably won't be stressed a lot. It's not a team that I really think at this point in time you have to worry about hanging 40 on you or anything like that. But it's this is an NFL offense with difference makers and guys like Deontay Johnson and Najee Harris and guys that can make plays. It's no sleeper team. They will they'll drop 20 on you in a heartbeat if you give them the chance and you take your foot off the pedal. But for that reason, I would like to see a statement game here from the Kansas City Chiefs. You have the easiest matchup of probably any playoff game. Handle the business the way you should and give me reason to believe that you do deserve to be, like I said earlier, up there with the Bills in already kind of my, I call it mock AFC championship. And it's going to be a good game either way. Um, More of a blowout in my opinion, but, but I mean, it's Big Ben's last game. You can't really hate on it too much. Um, but now on to the last game of Wild Card Weekend. We got the NFC West champions. Uh, we got the the Los Angeles Rams and the Arizona Cardinals. Another grudge match. Uh, both these teams split the, the season series 1-1. And both of them are coming off really, really disappointing losses. Uh, the Cardinals losing to the Seahawks uh, at home. And, of course, the Rams uh, just completely choking away uh, a 14-point lead in the second half. Both of these teams have a lot to fight for. I mean, Kyler Murray in his first ever um, playoff appearance and the Rams, you traded so much to get Stafford that I wrote, and you've got so many different people on this team. I really think it's championship or bust. It's Super Bowl or bust for them. And this is a really, really difficult first-round matchup. You needed to win that game last week uh, to stay at that two-seed. I can't lie. I I would have rather seen them against Philly. I think their team matches up a lot better against Philly than it does Arizona um, because that secondary in Philly is very, very bad, uh, as you can acclaim to besides Darius Slay. Yeah. It's this not, Arizona this Arizona defense is stouted. Just in the secondary, they have some really, really good guys. I mean, Buda Baker, just to name one. Um, hold on, let me go. To the, let me go to the depth chart just so I can go through all these guys. I mean, Marco Wilson, he's turned out to be a really good number two guy. Byron Murphy Jr., Jalen Thompson. Isaiah Simmons, who is a rover kind of guy who can literally play any position on the field if he wants to. Like, it's it's crazy to think how good this defense is. And then offensive-wise, I mean, you have one of the best dual-threat quarterbacks in the game in Kyler Murray. James Conner is going to be back, who I don't think he was there for their second game. I can't remember exactly. Um, they're without DeAndre Hopkins, which really hurts them offensively. But still, you have guys like A.J. Green and Christian Kirk. Uh, you have Zach Ertz at tight end. It doesn't hurt as much, but this is a really, really good offense and uh, an even better defense, in my opinion. It's going to be really, really, really tough game, and there's a reason they they split the season series. Yeah, I mean, there's absolutely a reason. This is a this is one that I am really on the fence about really, really on the fence about, because I really think it's one of the few games out there that's a coin flip. You know, what team are we going to see from both of these teams? Because at both of their best, both of these teams look pretty close to unbeatable. I mean, truly on the Rams are, you know, that the kind of on paper team, I would say just because of the names that they have, have and, and, you know, the kind of play that we've seen, 
and what we've seen their players on this roster do in the past, I mean, it would give you a lot of reason to believe they can do everything. But people, I think, forget there was a good point in the season where a good majority of the season where the, the Cardinals were the cream of the cop cream of the crop in the NFL. They were everything that every team was looking to kind of be, and they were definitely the cream of the crop of the NFC West. And things didn't kind of materialize, work out exactly the way they were hoping. Now they're here, and I think this is got to be the the most watched game this week, I would argue, because I think this is the one that has got to be the hardest to peg. If you ask me to do it right now, I would go with L.A., just because, as you mentioned, I think the stakes are much higher. There's nothing about this Arizona team other than some aging players that makes you think, my gosh, like we'll never get back here. Like with Kyler Murray and like you noted that defense, there's definitely some aging veterans that, you know, mean a lot to this team that, you know, you hope would stay this age and have this season for the rest of their career for you. And, you know, they won't, but at the same time, there's young pieces all over this team. And I think primarily in the places where it matters, and I think that is definitely good moving forward, but that's not what Cardinals fans want to hear. They want to hear about the chances right here. I think you have, I think you have chances. It's going to come down to whether you can get to Matthew Stafford, make his life a living hell. I really think that's going to be important because we've seen at points when stakes were high, uh, everybody's looking at Matthew Stafford. He's made mistakes. He hasn't played perfect football, especially over the second half of the season by any stretch of the imagination. If you can get him turning the ball over, which is a good, which I have to admit is a good bet. I mean, you look at this defense, like you noted, Jason, there's no, there's not that many slouches. Isaiah Simmons is a freak of nature. Buda Baker is probably my favorite safety in the NFL. I love the way he plays the game and they have multiple other guys who have stepped up. Chandler Jones really needs to, really needs to be in his face all game long. And I've heard JJ Watt is gearing up to be ready to play. If you have your full complement of guys on defense, this can be a tough defense, like you said. So uh, I'm looking for Arizona to, for the first time all season, I'm going to need them to play into the underdog role. I really am because it's going to have to be a dirty, I don't mean dirty as in, you know, not playing fair or anything like that, but it's have to be a hard-nosed football game. Do the little things, be in the right spot, don't try to do too much, and hope you can play your way into some Matthew Stafford mistakes. If that happens, there's a legitimate chance the Cardinals escape this game. But if they let Matthew Stafford play from a clean pocket, pick you apart, utilize these playmakers that he has on display and let them get that running, the running attack going. I really don't think there's much chance for the Cardinals. And so that's what I mean as in this being kind of a toss up, like what team for each of these guys really comes out because at their best, I mean, this could be the greatest game of all time, honestly, or one of them. Like, if we get both of these teams best and they play to the capabilities we've seen them at at points during the season, this could be an all-time classic. But if not, this could be probably the biggest snooze fest of the week. I think it really kind of has that potential. It's such a volatile-feeling game, and we've seen such – such a mix of play from both of these teams, even over the course of like the last four or five weeks that it makes it hard for me to really with any sense of confidence say, Oh yeah, I've got the, I've got the Cardinals this week. I would lean Rams, but like I said, I think the Cardinals are in it just as much as anyone. If they can, like I said, do some of the things I pointed out. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I'm also with, I'm also leaning Rams here. Um, like I said, I just think they have a lot, a lot more to fight for with, with how much they traded and how many picks they gave up and bringing in Von Miller and, and OBJ. Uh, before I finish things, like Cam Akers coming back six months after a torn Achilles. That's insane. Um, he's probably not really going to be used all that much in this game, if I'm being completely honest. Um, but still, that's that's insanity. But like you said, they they need to get in Stafford's face and disrupt that passing game because their their rush game while isn't terrible it's kind of like the bills rushing game it's not great but not terrible um it's kind of right down the middle it's just i don't know how to feel about the the cardinals pass rush especially over these past few weeks 
it hasn't been the same since that first half of the season. I mean, Chandler Jones, since that first game, he only added on, I think, like five, five and a half sacks since that four sack game. Yeah. He just hasn't been playing all that well since since the first half of the season. Um, so it's that's really the big reason I'm leaning toward the Rams. Like that pass rush is iffy right now. If they can really get it going, then it's going to be difficult for, for Los Angeles to get anything going. But that's that's the big if. Yes, if it's going to be able to happen. And that's it's part of the part that just like I said, it, it's going to come down to which team we get from both of these teams, uh, what kind of performance, uh, how they come into this game. I think you'll be it'll be easy to tell. I mean, within the first. I'd say let each team honestly just have a possession. And granted, you can't always tell a lot from the first possession, but I think from tone, the way that they're playing, things like that will kind of – you'll be able to read into how – which one of these teams better has come to play. And I think, you know, like I said, after a possession or two, I'll get back to you. But until then, I really need to see both of these teams just get out there and touch the field. I mean, really, I need to see the intensity because I would think, you know, this Rams team would be – Definitely, like you said, more Super Bowl or bust. But until I see, you know, that they have that level of intensity, I'm not willing to 100% sit here and say like, oh, yeah, Matthew Stafford won't fall, won't fall into another couple picks or anything like this. So this is one of this one of those games. I think you just kind of you have to see a little bit of it unwind. Oh, but this is definitely game of the week for me. No doubt. Yeah, I agreed. Um, but with that. The NFL regular season is over, and the playoffs are here. What an insane 18 weeks it has been, and we're about to have four more weeks of the best of the best going at it. Well, some of the best. Uh, some teams slipped in there. That shouldn't be in there. Um, cough, cough, Philadelphia. Um, but hey, easy now. There, there are some really, really good teams in this playoffs, and some – some teams that have a lot to fight for, like the Rams and some teams, the Rams and the Chiefs, and some teams that are looking to make their mark in this league, like, like the Bengals. Um, but with that, I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I hope you all are looking forward to this, this playoffs, and it's going to be a really, really fun time. But I have, of course, been your host, Jason Mitchner, joined alongside Ian Hatcher. See you all next time.